Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. At the end of the day, I was a great experience, and I was really grateful that she kind of gave me the nod when she needed some help. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. Yes, I have recovered from my wild parties (laughs) that you know I've been throwing and uh, ready to get back to work. Yeah, it's exciting. Oh, well, wait a second. Now I have to ask you, how many movies have you watched? And you know what movies I'm talking about. I do. So Santa Claus brought me the Criterion collection of all the Olympic movies. I think we talked about it last Christmas. We did because it came out last Christmas. Last Christmas. So Santa was a year delayed, but I forgave him because he brought me this box. And I honestly haven't even started. I've been going through the book and going through the things, trying to plan out. Oh. Because there are over 100 hours of movies. Okay. And I don't know if I want to go in order or if I, so I think I'm going to start with 36 because that's the movie I've always wanted to watch. Is, oh, is okay. The Lenny Reifenstahl Olympia. Uh, probably the most famous one. Right, right. So I want to see that. But then I'm also thinking I should watch 1960 to go with our book club. Right. Rome 1960 to sort of see all the people that I'm reading about as yeah, well. So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, listener Don said on Twitter that the 1972 Sapporo movie is beautiful. See, that's the thing. I am i don't know if I, I'm overwhelmed with it. It's, it's a... <laughs> it's almost too I, much? It is. It's, it's the, the bounty of riches that... But I'm, I'm so excited and I'm going to enjoy it and... You may not see me for a few months at some point. I may, you know, plan it out and then just never come out again. I see. Well, um, like you, but with books, we made the mistake of going to John K. King Used and Rare Books in Detroit. And it is a giant four-floor warehouse. And I walked out of there with, I think I got out of there with fewer than 20 books. 
Adam, because there was John K. King, the one in Detroit. Then we also went to like another outpost in Ferndale, Michigan, where I got some more books. And then we went to a Barnes and Noble that also had a used section. So I got some really cool titles like um, this one is kind of cool. It's called Olympic Television Broadcasting the Biggest Show on Earth. And it's about how NBC puts together put together the Rio games. Yeah, how they did the broadcast. Oh, yeah, so I'm cool. really excited about that. I got Igniting the Flame, America's First Olympic Team, which is all about the 1896 crew that we learned about last year. So yes, that's cool. That, we're, that we have a great deal of affection mm-hmm. for. Maybe not Olympic, but Inside Edge by Christine Brennan. I could not pass up a used copy. Oh, you can't miss that. I know, I'm so excited. She's just so amazing when she writes about figure skating. Yeah, uh, another Olympics in Athens, eighteen ninety six book. Very. You're, you're going to be the expert. I know. You, you you can make a remake of that miniseries. <laughs> I would. Oh, oh man, we're going to have to have some dream casting. Go on the Facebook group, listeners, and dream cast for who you would cast instead of like David Ogden Steers and Angela Lansbury, and uh, um, uh, David Caruso. Mm-hmm. So another, I'm really excited about this. Not that I need another Olympic fact book, especially one that went with Atlanta, but it has an interactive CD-ROM. <laughs> I want to see. Does it, it still, still work? I don't know. I have to pull it out and and, oh, okay. find, and pull out an old laptop that still has a CD drive in it to see yeah. if it works. I'm so excited. But I also got um, three like prop, not propaganda books, but like promotional books for Moscow 1980. One is all pictures, and it's got, like, a, a foreword by Juan Antonio Samaranch, who was an ambassador to Russia for Spain. And then there are another couple of a little guidebook things that are... Are they all... Are they English? Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's one that's um, Olympics 80 come to Moscow and the Soviet contribution to the Olympics, both with a little... Misha the bear on the back cover, of course, and my little pictogram. Misha. But they all, all the 1980 books I got came out before the boycott was ever thought of. Of course, so it's it's going to be kind of interesting to see what kind of promotional stuff they did to say, "Hey, we're getting ready for the Olympics next year." Yeah, so. but on the you mentioned the Facebook group, we saw some lovely Olympic theme gifts that people got. Yeah, it was very exciting. It was fun to see that other people, other people's (laughs) families also feed their Olympic addiction, that it's not just. I know, I know. Families. Yeah, I I will have to post pictures of the books. And then Ben got me three t shirts and a Team USA luggage tag. So very Very excited. Yes, and I got my um, Olympic fever swag. Oh, nice. Nice. I got the merch from from TeePublic. And yes, I'll be posting pictures of various family members in their (laughs) t-shirts. They're really nice. They are nice and they're comfortable. They do. They run a little small. Yeah, I would say that. So they definitely run a little small, but they are really, really nice. I'm Mm -hmm. excited. And the uh, Olympic Fever swag that I gave as presents, I also got some notebooks and they are also nice. I got a spiral bound one and a hardcover one and they're very cool. Check it out, tpublic.com slash Fever. Or no, it's yeah. probably store slash Fever, but we'll have a link in the show notes. But, you know, everyone took a little break for Christmas, and now the sports are getting back in action. And you know who's going to compete this weekend for the first time? In, well, not the first time, but like officially 
first this time World Cup race. And that is Team Olympic Fever member and next Olympic hopeful winner, Josh Williamson, is going to start his competition. So we talked with him on December 7th to learn more about Bob's, how Bobsled has been treating him. Take a listen. Well, Josh, you've been busy since the last time we talked to you. Yeah, a little bit. It's been a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, I mean, when we spoke, I guess it was September of 17. Right. You hadn't even been in the sled yet. Right. Yeah, that was before <laughs> I'd ever slid. Yeah. So what's been going on? Uh, nothing much. I mean, right now I'm back in like... <laughs> nothing <laughs> much. I just, uh, Jumped on the world stage of a major sport, but... <laughs> Well, last year I had a lot of fun competing, and uh, that was a great way to kind of start my career. It was a great first season, and now I'm sitting right now in Lake Placid. I'm at the Olympic Training Center, currently rehabbing a pulled hamstring. Should be back in the competition in a week or two. But uh, as of right now, I'm just kind of sitting out. The World Cup season starts tomorrow in Latvia at 6 a.m. The men kick off tomorrow. Women kicked off today. and uh, So I'll be cheering them on tomorrow morning while I rehab here and hopefully meet back up with them in January in uh, Altenburg, Germany at World Cup 3. Okay, good. I was a little concerned when I did, when we saw you weren't in Latvia. I'm like, what does that mean? But okay, minor injury is okay. Is that the only injury you've been dealing with? Just sort of that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. It was in the Whistler NAC races. We did some preseason racing down at Whistler, or up in Whistler, and uh, we, we did very well. It was a good kind of successful week. We got the pilots very comfortable on a track that's going to be the world championship track this coming March. So that was the goal to get runs there the same year and everybody enjoyed it. I, I just, on the last race, I'd done a lot of sliding that week and ended up pulling my hamstring. And luckily it wasn't a major pull or tear. I ended up coming right back here and getting some great treatment immediately from sports medicine staff of the USOC and everything's been pretty good since then. Just been taking it easy, started rehab this past week and everything's been going well, feeling really strong. And hopefully after the next two, three weeks, I'll be ready to go over to Europe and meet up with everybody. Whistler was pretty good to you last season. It was. It was. <laughs> a couple of uh, a couple of wins on the on the cup and the North America was it North America Cup? North America that- Cup. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And you were you mostly with Hunter Church as the pilot? Yes. Last year I was with Hunter Church all year. And now this year I've been sliding with Cody Baskey. Oh, nice. So what's what's different? Not much. They're both from uh, the upstate New York area, so they're both kind of hometown heroes up here, so that's always the same, and they're both great pilots, so I mean, at the end of the day, not a ton different. We've just, you know, just kind of different sleds in a different spot, and it's been a great year so far for both of them. He, Hunter, actually had, that was a kind of a small blessing about getting injured, or like, be able to be back here to watch the NAC race here in Lake Placid, and uh, Hunter actually got a win, got a gold medal in one of the four-man races over a couple of very experienced Olympians who were just kind of sliding on the North American Cup this year. So he was a pretty big win for us, and that was really exciting to watch. So that was a small, small good thing that came from this injury was they able to come back here and watch him. And so he had a great time, and Cody's about to have a pretty good day tomorrow. I could feel it. So it's going to be an exciting year for both of them. So talk to me about the difference between what it's like to be in the back for two man versus four man. And then in four man, do you end up switching spaces between two, three and four? Well, for the first part, the the two man and four man, I'd say the, you go a lot faster in four man. So you can feel that in a lot of the turns when you get pressures. And obviously with us being in different positions in the four man, as opposed to the, the back of the two man, 
there's pressure. You get that in a lot of different places or you more get that more on your upper body. You're, you're in a little bit more of a weird position in four man. So sometimes that can lead to just some more aches and pains. And other than that, going a lot faster. So if you do hit walls, you hit them a little harder, <laughs> but you're there with a bunch of people. So at the end of the day, it's a little more tight, which is good because the less you can move around, the less you're probably going to slam into stuff. So it's, uh, it's, they're both exciting and they're both rough at times, but at the end of the day, I think four man's a lot more fun in my eyes just because you have the whole team aspect with it, but two man's great as well. And where are usually, where are you usually positioned in the four man? This year, I'm pushing at the three position, where last year I was the two position. And I was more just kind of filling a spot. We had somebody who kind of stepped away right when the season was starting, and I needed Hunter needed someone to step in, and I hadn't pushed at any position, so it wasn't like I had a preference, and he just kind of stuck me in the two position, and it ended up working very well. But now I'm on the other side, where I'm in the three position, which is something that I've really enjoyed, and it's very similar to the two position in a lot of ways. It's just you're the second, you're the third man in the sled after the pilot and the two guy, and the load's a lot of fun, and I've had a lot of fun with it, and I really, we're kind of debated where we can move people around and push in different places, especially being the first year of a Olympic quad, you know, you don't know what's going to work combination-wise until you try it, so it's going to be some moving pieces all season, but as of right now, I've been at the three, and I've really liked it, and our team's had some success pushing, so it's definitely something that we think's working so far. So. What is, is, is there something different about teaming in bobsled that's different than the teaming you had in lacrosse? You mean like the team selection? Yeah, like, no, no, like the team spirit or how the, the, how you work together or how you develop teamwork. Uh, it's very similar just in the team sport kind of generally, it's very similar, but at the same time, it's definitely a little different. I feel like in bobsled, a, a theory I have on why everybody's so close is because at the end of the day, you know, maybe if you crash or you, you get some hard hits or you have a good day or a bad day, you kind of all do it together. And at the end of the day, you all experience it together. In lacrosse, it's the same with good games and bad games. But in bobsled, you know, if you have a bad day, it can maybe be a little more detrimental to everybody's health than in something like a lacrosse where you have a bigger team. So I think it's those shared experiences that sometimes – really bring guys together and at the end of the day we all put so much work into these sleds and kind of our pushing and our loading that when you do get a win or that you do do well it ends up being in my mind is a little bit sweeter because you get to the bottom and you know you put a lot of time in and then you're all there at the same time knowing that together we put in a lot of work and it kind of paid off in a minute run pretty high adrenaline and then you get to the bottom and it's all happy days so <laughs> have you crashed yet i mean have you really crashed Yes. Yeah. Last year I crashed twice, I believe. And this year we had a little spill and whistler and four man, but it wasn't too bad and everybody ended up being all right. So just, it happens, you know, in a racing sport, you know, you're going to try to let it be as fast as it can be. And sometimes it gets, it's a little too fast, but that's fine. And you know, it's, it's inevitable and everybody is all right. Are you able to feel the difference between tracks because whistler is notoriously fast? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Different tracks. So for example, Lake Placid is very, uh, I don't really know what the right word for it to be, but it'd be, it's very quick transitions. So, you know, there's a lot more, you know, quick off turn under the next, and there's a lot more in my mind or in what kind of what pilots think, you know, heavy handed driving, you know, you really got to get on and off turns and a track like Whistler, you're going very fast, but maybe they're longer, more deliberate turns where you're under pressure a lot longer and you, 
for the most part, don't feel those quick transitions as much, except for a couple turns. So there's different tracks that have, like, in a, for example, the uh, Segulda track that we were watching this morning, the women race on. They were a lot of really quick, sharp turns, as opposed to sometimes maybe there's a big, long straight between turns at different tracks. And so it's just part of memorizing the track and realizing, you know, how it's supposed to feel. So, you know, that if it doesn't feel right, that, you know, what what's going on in the back of the sled. So, you know, that, you know, where you're at, you know, when to pull the brakes, you know, when you're in trouble or not. Do you have a favorite track yet? I love our home track and Lake Placid. It, it can be rough, but. It's our track, and I really enjoy being here because we obviously get a pretty big advantage training here a lot, knowing the start ramp, knowing the returns, knowing the conditions, knowing how much work the track crew pr- puts in. It's pretty exciting to be home. So even though it can be a little unforgiving, I really do like Lake Placid the most. Has your mother watched you race yet? Has she come? She So they came up to visit me in Thanksgiving, but we were not – no, they came up to visit me – sorry, in – august for my birthday so they have not seen me race in person yet but they do plan on coming to the lake placid world cup races this february them and some of my family and then they also tentatively if we qualify for world championships they hope to come to the whistle in march to uh, watch championships if i'm competing excellent don't crash when your mother's there (laughs) (laughs) that's not not me but they were very she was very concerned when we did crash but everybody was fine so (laughs) just just don't crash when mom is visiting just do what you can so you got to do a race with elena myers taylor yes i did how was that it was great experience it was uh funny it was very last minute uh she was over in eagles austria and she wanted to drive four man that week and uh, she had had a crew over there, and I was home for uh, Thanksgiving at the time. Like right after Thanksgiving, I had been home on a break. And she, one of the athletes that she brought back, one of the push athletes, had been dealing with a foot injury, and he ended up re-injuring it in the warm-up area before the first day of sliding. So I was got the call from her, like, hey, would you be willing to come over to Austria to race this weekend? And it was like a, I think it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And I was uh, – I said, yeah, I would be willing to. I just, I can't afford to get over there, obviously. And we ended up finding a way to fund me to get over there. Very last minute, I got there the day before the race. And on the race day, I'd never slid down the track at all. I never pushed with that crew, but we did a lot of preparation and we ended up getting down and having a good day. It wasn't, we didn't finish where we had liked to, but at the end of the day, it was a really cool experience just to get over there. And we were happy that we just ended up getting the race with all those kind of things through in the way so at the end of the day I was a great experience and I was really grateful that she kind of gave me the nod when she needed some help excellent well you're talking about money so with the next Olympic hopeful you got a year's worth of training funding but then so that year's over now so then what well now from then on you know most of the in the sport before there's an Olympic hopeful the really the only way to get funding is to do well and get on the national team. And then a lot of the thing, depending on your rank, will get funded. So that's kind of the only way from then on to get funded is to continue to do well, meet qualification standards. And then it's kind of a sliding scale of funding in that sense of where most of the money will go to, you know, USA one and the top pilots. And then from then on down, you know, as you continue to break down the program, that's where the money goes. And that's, so that's kind of the incentive, you know, to do well and they support, everybody in the program as much as they can, you know, on the lower circuits as well, they try to do as much as they can to make it easier, even if they can't pay for everything. And that's something that I think they do a pretty good job of. And that's something that obviously it's a big incentive to do well. (laughs) 
And just a little thing, you kind of made the national team this year. This year I did. This was my yeah. first time on the national team, which is very exciting. So excited for you. Thank you. It's really, really great. Thank you, Josh. Josh is scheduled to compete this weekend in Altenburg, Germany, and you can watch that online at IBSF TV. That's IBSF.org slash EN slash IBSF dash TV. And we will have a link to that in our show notes. And they do a really good job of covering the races because I got sucked into watching some of the earlier races from this year. And it's really cool. Gosh, bobsled is so much fun to watch. I know. And you know what I realized? Josh was the first member of Team Olympic Fever. He was. He was our very he, first member, our very he, first like athlete interview. Yes, he was. And it's, dude, don't you kind of feel like you're doing this with him? Yeah, kind of. It's like the show sort of started at the beginning of his career and, and we're all working on it. Him. Yeah. I yeah, know. Yeah. And I've, he's so fabulous and he's doing so he well. He is. And, oh, so proud of him. I know. Did you get a little teary? I do. We I do. Yeah, I know. You I get do. A little, you it's get so... like, oh, Josh, you're do I want him to do so well. I want really good things for him. Know. You know, we're so happy. So we'll be cheering for him this weekend. Very excited. And you can yeah. follow Josh on social. He's on Twitter at, at Josh underscore Williams 24. And on Insta, he is Josh underscore Williamson. Moving on, we've had some big, like, Olympic-style news that's happened over the break, and it wouldn't be uh, a show if we didn't have to talk about doping anymore, Ugh. I guess. So, the latest news in uh, doping scandal is that WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, had uh, readmitted Russia into its uh, good graces and said, well, you know, in order to keep that good graces, you've got to hand, hand over all of your data by December 31th. And guess what? Rusada did not give over their data. So now what? Do we know now what? Well, their uh, WADA meets on in the middle of January, and they'll consider Ugh. reinstating their ban on Russia. So it's just crazy. I don't understand what they're doing. I, I, it must just be so bad and they can't fix it and they know they can't, but I, I don't know why. It, it's just like, like Russia's playing this game. It can't win. We're, oh, let us in, let us in. We're clean. Oh, yes, we're clean. Oh, yeah, we'll give you the data. Oh, no, we can't give you the data. You're not really fooling anybody at this point. You know, I think it was listener Meredith who posted when we were talking about this in the in the Facebook group. It's like, please, Russia do this. We love you. We want your athletes there. Why are you doing this? Right. And for Russia's clean athletes, it's just horrible. I mean, like your country is totally disappointing you. Yeah. And it's, and you know, as I've said, probably in every episode at some point, anybody who makes it harder for these athletes to reach their, reach their goal makes me very angry. Yeah, I would agree. So we will see what the next step in the saga is later this month. Keep an eye on that. In U.S. Olympic Committee news, um, Dick's Sporting Goods ended their relationship with the USOC, and they had one of those deals, like Home Depot had this years ago, where they would hire athletes to work at the stores and uh, let them have better schedules with regular pay so that they could still keep up a pretty good training schedule. So... Um, that was a contract that had been announced in 2015, so it was good basically for Rio and Pyeongchang. Uh, the news that I saw also kind of speculated, oh, did this have anything to do with 
the whole Larry Nassar scandal because this is the first sponsorship deal that has ended since that took place. So what does that mean? But we heard on Twitter from uh, Curry Dias, who is a USA Team Handball member, that he was hired by Dix in March, this past March, and he was aware of the contract ending then. So it may not be backlash to that. It may not help, but I don't think it's the backlash bandwagon. Yeah, the Dick Sporting Goods may just have decided this wasn't where they want to put their money. Right. Or maybe they, you know, wanted to try it for a couple of Olympiads and see how it works. I don't know. I mean, Home Depot had also ended their program. So it's not like this doesn't happen. So right, maybe another company will come forward and support some athletes. Maybe we can find out more about that program from Curry. Gonna find oh, out. yeah. I, I would love it if he could talk to us. Because it is a really cool idea. I think it's really great. It's got to be so hard when you need to earn a living and also be able to train as much as you need to train to be a world-class athlete. So Right. We hear that from everybody we talk to. Right. Money, time, training, facilities. It, it's a crush. Yeah. And they struggle. So we shall see. But... Uh, some happier news from Tokyo 2020. They announced their Paralympic torch relay theme, and that is Share Your Light. And they said that expresses Tokyo 2020's determination to help achieve a fully inclusive society by the gather- gathering and meeting of the light, which means human beings who provide hope and support to others. That's very cool. And they Perfect. they do. I did, you know, I didn't really realize this with the the Pyeongchang Paralympics, but apparently they have all these different flame lightings in several areas across the country. Like the one of the flame lighting festivals is held in Stoke Mandeville, which is in the UK and that's where the Paralympics were born. But there's also these flame lighting festivals across the host country and then the flames all come together at the host city for the Paralympics, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I do not know I why. Wish I wish it would get more coverage, but yeah. we'll have to work on that. Right. So Because it's such a beautiful tradition. Yes. Yeah. That, that one is really cool. And it's nice that it's not the same as the Olympic one. Right. I think they so. do it differently, and it yes. should be different. So, very cool. A short little Team Olympic Fever update for you now. Tofu. Our other one of our other Team Olympic Fever bobsledders, Nick Cunningham, was named head coach for the Carmel High School track and field team in Carmel, uh, California. Those students are so lucky. I know. So exciting. They're, oh, they're going to do great. And he's going to love doing it. And yeah. he's going to be so yeah. good at he's it. He's going to be really great. And he had also mentioned on Twitter he's been bouncing up uh, to coach the uh, bobsled athletes who are in the North American Cup circuit. And then coming back down to to coach the track and field team. So that's going to cool. be he's going to be Coach Cunningham. I know. I mean, even his name is perfect for this job, right? <laughs> Come on, that's just oh well, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. So very excited for you, Nick, and looking forward to seeing. Who knows? He could coach an Olympian. That would be just way too cool. Very cool. Very very cool. But, but you know what's going to happen if he does that? Mary Carrillo is going to get a hold of the story. She's going to ruin it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you're right. I can, you yeah. know, I can hear her voice in my head now. 
We're not going to let that happen to you, Nick. Well, on that note, you got anything else this week? I got nothing. I'm still recovering. You're, yeah, I know. Recovering from everything, getting back into the swing. On that note, we'll wrap it up for this week, and we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. I got nothing. I'm still recovering.